Hi, friends. I have four friends here today. Awesome. Well, I'm going to be talking about self-regard, and I just kind of testing the waters to see where I needed to pump myself up to today. So power stance, everybody. Okay, Jared, get the testosterone going here. Here we go. All right. Okay, I can handle this 1115 crowd. Yeah. Some of you have never met me before. I apologize. That was not a very distinguished way to present myself to you. My name is Jared Roth, Dr. Roth, and I'm one of the pastors here. In the, awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, we get to launch into a new series uh, talking about uh, building it right. And, uh, you know, I'm just a little kid that ended up with a big body. I went out uh, jogging and walking the other day, and I ended up down at the uh, two blocks from our house, end of a Renko station, and there's like really big equipment there. So uh, am I distracted or what? Yeah, totally. And I'm watching because the crane is working. And be- believe it or not, that's a human being standing underneath that big box. I mean, where was OSHA when, when he needed them? I mean, really, can you believe that? Just so much fun to watch this construction. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I know because I've been watching this Holland project for a few years is that they've invested millions of dollars in this project before they ever brought a bulldozer on to start scraping uh, uh, the topsoil. Invested millions in getting the plans down so that when it was built, it would be built right by the right people with the right stuff in the right sequence to the right standards. And we're talking about building relationships right. Now, wouldn't that be great? I mean, for those of you that are uh, engaged and we're going to talk with you about pre-marriage counseling, uh, you're actually getting to be there, right? The slate's kind of clean and you get to actually build it, right? All of the rest of us are in remediation programs. You know how that works? Yeah. A couple of years ago, uh, the condos that we live in, two blocks from here, we were in remediation. That's an awfully big word for a person like me. I had to look it up. It means to remedy something. That's not a good word. Apparently, there's a problem here to be remedied. And we had the whole thing shrouded in, in uh, uh, scaffolding, and there's, you know, the stuff comes over it, and it's all dark inside, and they take the windows out. It's a mess for months because when they built it, they didn't build it right. Here's the deal. The people that built the place for the windows to go in, instead of putting the flashing to wick the water away, wick the water in. This is not a good thing for the long, long-term stability of the house remediation. Well, whether you have a clean slate relationship or you're fixing some problems along the way, we're going to look at eight different things that we can do to help moving forward. Today, I get to talk with you about identity what God thinks and says about you, and self-regard, what you believe about yourself, and how we're going to find a way for these to come closer and closer together. My dad's name is Jacob Roth. I had the privilege of conducting his memorial service about three years ago. He died in his early 90s. Not only were there several hundred people who were there to remember his life, thinking well about him, but he influenced lots of people. He was a kind and gracious man. He was a Christ follower. He was serious and committed in his faith. He was an excellent role model for me. He was gracious to others. He was sacrificial in his servanthood toward others. He was, he was a great man. In fact, not only do I as his child feel and think that way about him, but his grandkids do as well. And in fact, our son and daughter-in-law have named 
their first son, Jacob, after his great-grandfather. And Jacob's going to be making his appearance later in June. We'll all get to meet him at that time. But my dad did not think that way about himself. Suffered all of his life with a very skewed, poor self-regard. In fact, it was poignantly illustrated by how he thought about his own name. I remember discovering Jake Brakes. You're familiar with Jake Brakes? Ann and I grew up in Sweet Home Logging Town, and we actually had a sign in our town that you've never seen. It said, Jake makes Jake Brakes prohibited in the city limits. And I found out Jake Brakes, you know, it's a compression kind of thing, and it makes tr- trucks sound really cool and really loud. Apparently, people don't want the glass in their you know, windows of their stores broken or something. I don't know the deal. But I remember one time discovering in our living room Jake Brakes, and I mentioned it, and it was kind of a cool name. And I said, Dad, that's part of your name. And my mother looked at me with one of those motherly looks, which was, shut up now, kid. We'll talk later. And I had, by that time, gotten enough good sense to respond to that. I asked her later, what's the deal? She said, don't talk about your dad's name like that in any way. He really feels bad about his name. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. We had a guest speaker come to our church. and He was talking about Jacob. And he decided to call Jacob Tricky Jake and Sneaky Jake through the whole sermon. And afterward, my dad was talking, and he was kind of laughing about it. But he referred back to that message for years following that in conversations with me. That's a demonstration of how he felt about himself in so many ways. And this is what happens when our regard about ourselves is different and less than God's regard for us. We put ourselves in chains. Hmm. We restrict ourselves from being able to be of service to others. And today, some chains are going to be rattling and they're going to be following. Don't vote on it here, but some of us have been arrested. It's going to sound to you like that right key has come and those cuff leaks are being released from you so that you finally can be free to be of service. All of us deal with this thing. I did this week. One of my hobbies is to teach uh, college. And I was invited to be a guest lecturer at um, a a quarterly uh, seminar series that uh, George Fox University School of Business hosts. And so I was the guest presenter. And that was an honor. And I prepared for it like I would prepare a message about 30 hours. I poured a lot of effort into it. And then about a week ago, I mentioned to Anne what I was going to wear because I was very thoughtful about that. This is not a time for any of you to laugh. I know some of you don't believe that I give any thought to what I wear, but I actually do try. I think about it. I told Anne what I was going to wear, and she said, Really? (laughs) Brief response, filled with meaning. I thought about that the next couple of days, and I thought maybe we should have a conversation about that. And so I went back to Anne, and I said, Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about what I was planning to wear. Now, why was I interested in what to wear? Well, the higher, more mature side of me was interested because how we dress is a part of our culture. It's a part of language. And so we want to dress in a way that's of service to others. Uh, If I went and I was naked, that probably would be distracting in a whole lot lot of wrong, bad ways. If I overdressed, that was probably going to be awkward. I, being of service, wanted to speak the right language in how I was dressed. But the smaller, more immature side of me wanted to look good. I wanted to be accepted. I I wanted to be impressive. I wanted to fit in. That's how we feel. Hmm. 
Ann and I were uh, pastoring a church that we had started, and one of the guys came to Christ and his wife and brought their three little kids. We watched them all grow in their faith, and the kids are growing up. The oldest son now finally reached about 13, you know, which is kind of wild and crazy time. There's this hormone stew that's just going nuts, and there's differentiation happening and independence in the middle of all this crazy stuff going on. I watched the dad, sincere man, following Christ now for a few years, wanting to be a loving husband, wanting to be a great dad, and just so often making a horrible mess out of both because of what was still left as residue of wiring in his life from horrible modeling. I was stunned when I heard him say these words. And I was more shocked to discover that this is what he has said to his son since this oldest son was a little boy. You see, when dad became frustrated and really didn't know what to do to be a good parent, he put his hands on his hips, stared at his son and said, I don't know what to do with you. I guess they'll just fix you when you're in prison. And would stomp off. The structure of this message this morning is to talk about where we live and then to come to God's Word and see what He says and then to find how God's Word brings the two together. This is where we get our start in life. When kids are about 15 to 24 months of age, they begin to make some delightful discoveries about themselves and the world. They discover, first of all, that I'm a thing, And then they discover that there seems to be both good things and bad things. And then that baby hopes, I hope I'm a good thing. This is what's going on. Before 15 months, babies are not very self-aware. And they're certainly not aware that they are different than others. But some fun studies have been done, including moms bringing their infants. And the mom putting some makeup, some blush on the baby's nose, and then mom holds baby and looks in the mirror. Now, until 15 months, baby recognizes that there is something in the mirror that is interesting, but does not recognize that it's her. 15 to 24 months, she recognizes that it's her. We know that because she tries to point to the red nose or to wipe the blush off. This is what is happening at that time in our development. We discover that we are. And we discover that we are different from others. And then our brains, which are substantially blank slates, are ready for others to write on to make sense of who we are and how we are different. Now, we learn that, first of all, when these large creatures that tend to hold us, we see them talking with other large creatures and they seem to be sane and making sense. But when those large creatures hold us, especially if they're grandpas, they just get goofy and they, you know, they do baby talk, and they do funny little things, and they tr- try to tickle, and we go, what, what is that big thing doing that to me for? And this big thing says, you are wonderful. You are so sweet. You are precious. You are a cutie. You are so smart. You are perfect. And all these little brain cells, these neurons are connecting together, and they're wiring together, and they're saying, I am cute. I am precious. I am valuable. I am kissable. I am lovable. I am wonderful. And then the same child in the middle of the night who for the eighth night in a row has screamed her head off is with a large thing that is holding her and this exhausted, 
mother that is just on the fragile edge of survival looks at this thing and says, how did I ever invite you into my life? Who are you anyway? Why don't you just stop doing that? It's his fault after all. I don't really sure I want you. I can't do any more of this. And some Norwirians, and this baby now is quite confused. I am, and I am different, and I am perfect, and I am horrible, and that's how we launch into life. Folks, we are a messed up group of people. Aren't you glad you came today? I'm here to give you hope. Nothing, nothing but hope and help forward. Yeah. And it shows up in all of these awkward ways. I'm invited to be with some new people. You go to a new place. You're going to go to a party. You're going to go to a wedding. What should I wear? What shouldn't I wear? By the way, I'm a smart man. I learned, I learned to listen to my wife, and I want you to know I was perfectly dressed for the lecture last Friday. Thank you very much, Ann. Perfectly dressed. Yes, indeed. That was a cheap invitation for you to clap, and you responded in like kind. Very good, very good. We're on the same page here today. Let's talk for a moment about what God is going to say, and he's going to tell us to pray. He's going to tell us to think. He's going to tell us to do, and we're going to discover that in Philippians chapter 4. But let me talk just a little bit on our way toward that. Identity is what is true of us. Self-regard is what we believe about ourselves. And for most of us, there's a substantial gap between the two. Self-regard, it's our ability to respect and like ourselves. We, we know what we're good at. We're grateful for that. We know what we're bad at, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We still get up in the morning and say, you know, in spite of who I am, I think God did a pretty good, decent job when he made me. Yeah, warts and all. And often people, and notice a picture of some folks that look like this, that are expressing self-regard. They tend to look confident. They tend to look secure. They tend to look loving. They tend to look happy. They tend to seem to be comfortable in their own skin. That's how we feel about people that express themselves in that way. And one of the things we love about these people is that they're authentic in that they seem to be aware of what they're not good at. They're open about their weaknesses. They confess when they have blown it and make mistakes. And they seem to be comfortable when they don't know all of the answers, being honest about that as well. Yeah. Now, we've all seen leaders who have failed in part because their self-regard was shaky. They just can't tolerate having warts. And they certainly can't tolerate letting those be publicly demonstrated. And they cover up their fragile self-regard by never admitting when they're wrong. It's always someone else's mistake. They blame them. They emphasize their own strengths. They present themselves that know-it-alls. They, they surround themselves with yes men and women. I know some of you think I'm talking about your boss. I know. I know that. But we've all know that successful people are those that are able to be honest about themselves. Yeah. So why does, why does this self-regard thing matter? Why does God care about it? Why does he talk about it in Scripture? It's because when we don't view ourselves as God does, there are some negative qualities that we tend to express. People with low self-regard often have heavy self-criticism and dissatisfaction. Don't you read about that in some posts on Facebook? There's times that I just want to chat with people and say, you're telling us way too much about yourself. 
way, way too much about yourself. You're so critical of yourself and you express that to others. Hypersensitivity to criticism and resentment against critics, even those that are well-meaning. Chronic indecision, an exaggerated fear of mistakes. I can't do that because these things might happen. Or excessive will to please everyone and an unwillingness to displease anyone. And how many of you discovered that that doesn't work very well in life? Or perfectionism, which can lead to frustration when perfection isn't attained. And if you're like me, perfection is never attained. Or neurotic guilt, dwelling on past mistakes. If I only would have, if I hadn't done that, if I would have made this decision, living and wallowing in the past. How about floating hostility? We know these people, don't you? You know it's not about you, it's about them. They're just constantly, like a volcano, about to erupt. And when you walk by, we say, you better walk on eggshells or you better cut a wide swath around them because the littlest thing can set them off. Or pessimism, just generally having a negative outlook on life. You know, and I talk to people who suffer these things, I often discover that they're aware of it, they don't like it, and part of their self-loathing is about it. And they have also discovered that we don't just think our way to being different. There's something more fundamental that needs to take a place. Yeah. God wants us to be people who understand how He's made us and to check in with Him about how He wants us to think about ourselves. Invite you to take a look at how people demonstrate themselves with uh, healthy and higher self-regard. And as I do, I'm going to ask this question. Is a person that meets these descriptors the kind of person that you would like to be your boss? Or the kind of person that you'd like to be your husband or your wife? Or the kind of kid that you'd like to have? Or the kind of co-workers or friend that you'd like to have? Someone who's secure in their values and principles and willing and ready to defend them respectfully. Someone who acts according to what's best all the time. Someone that doesn't worry excessively about either the past with regret or the future with anxiety. (laughs) People who ask others for help when needed. Can you believe that, guys? I mean, actually, really? Yeah. Considering themselves equal in value to others, not positioning themselves as superior to anyone or inferior to anyone. Believing that they're a person that brings value to others. I have something to contribute to every relationship or sensitive to the feelings and to the needs of other people and confidently willing to voice dissent without belittling themselves or others when challenges arise. I'm going to ask you to look at that list with one other person in mind. I'm going to ask you this question from what you know about Jesus Christ, particularly the stories told about him when he was living in human form, God's son on earth in the gospels. Does this sound at points like Jesus secure in what he values and believes and ready to defend those respectfully to act in accordance with what is best to not worry excessively about the past or the future? (laughs) I don't think you can find a place where Jesus was too anxious about anything. 
Asking for help of others when needed, absolutely. Hey, guys, we're going to have a meal. I need you to go to town. I need you to get the donkey. I need you to put the meal together. I need you to make the arrangements. Considering others equal in value, coming, leaving, got a second member of the Trinity status in heaven to become like us in human form. Believing that he brought value to us, being sensitive to the feelings and needs of us as he empathized and absolutely being willing to voice discontent when it was appropriate without belittling himself or others. Amazing thing. Hmm. Well, this is what God says to us about growing in our identity. And in this second part of the message together, I'm going to invite you to take a look at me at a few verses in Philippians. This is so much fun. And you're going to hear with me that he gives us three steps. First of all, is understanding what he says about us, our identity. And secondly, how to move forward in our self-regard to come closer and closer to that. And the steps are pray and think and do. Because we have been made spirit, soul, and body, most solutions to most of our problems in life will engage those three parts of how he's made us. Let's take a look, first of all, how he invites us to engage in praying. Notice in Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 4, these wonderful words. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Would you say the word with me? Rejoice. Yeah. I have to pause for just a minute. This is so cool. I don't, this is free today. I don't know how being sour and dour ever became the mark of spirituality. I just don't get it. I read the Bible and I read a guy in prison. It stinks. He's around his own excrement. He's been beaten and bruised. He's illegally imprisoned. He might lose his life and he's overflowing with joy. And he says to everybody else, get happy. And then he doesn't think they'll believe him. So he says, I'm going to repeat myself. The only time in the whole book he does it. I'm going to repeat myself. Get happy. Be happy. So if you, by the way, think that Christians should be sour dour and that they should worship in a very somber way that does not smile and does not experience joy, there's a bunch of other churches in town that have the corner on that. They do it so much better than we do. Seriously, I'm not being flippant about that. Seriously. But here at Evergreen, we just don't get it. And so for some people, we misbehave once in a while. In fact, they'll even move on and step out. It's crazy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he tells us how. Let your gentleness be evident to everybody. Be gentle about it. You don't have to elbow your way to the front of the crowd. You don't have to be a shrinking violet that shrinks to the back. Be gentle about it. And here's how you can be gentle. Because the Lord is where? Near. Hmm. Some of your Bible translations say the Lord is at hand. I love that. Look at your hand, would you? One of them. How far away is it from you? Darren. I hope not very far, Darren. Not very far. That's how close the Lord is. Now, what it means is Jesus is right with you right now. You can engage him right now. You can engage in joy right now with him. And you can engage in talking to him in prayer right now. Now, I happen to be one of those people that have come out of some of my uh, church tradition in the past where people thought it worked better if you were really loud when you prayed. In fact, if you shouted and if you 
spat from time to time. That was even better. Some of you have been there? Yeah? Yeah? Now, here's the deal. I don't care if you spit and uh, shout when you pray. Prefer not here because it's kind of uh, unsanitary. We're kind of into the hygiene thing here. Here's the deal. It's perfectly fine to shout and spit when you pray, but the deal is it doesn't reel God in. He says, you don't have to go very far. You don't have to yell at him. Because some of us think that when we pray, it's like fishing for salmon, and you throw out the bait, and then you get one on, and then you work really hard to reel him in. So the question is, how can I catch God and reel him in? And so maybe I need to perform. I don't really goof up with my major sins for the three days prior to serious prayer. Hmm? I'm good enough. Or maybe it's that I'm loud enough. Or maybe it's that my language sounds pious enough or flowery enough or prayerful enough. Or maybe whatever it is. And Paul says this. Listen, I want you to start out here. I want you to be a person of joy. I don't want you to elbow your way through people. And I don't want you to feel like you have to elbow your way to the front of the crowd to get God's attention. I just want you to know that he's right at hand. And this is what I want you to do about your anxiety. I don't want you to be anxious for anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amazing. So the address is in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, all of this is true for you. In Christ Jesus means that we have come. All of us have. We have all sinned. We come to choose to acknowledge that and say, God, I am not going to go my own way. I'm going to go your way. I confess my sin. I receive your forgiveness, the gift of your Holy Spirit to live in my life, and I will now follow you Christ the rest of my life. And this is what the Bible says. If you are in Christ Jesus, God the Father relates to you as he relates to his very own son. This is a promise for you in Christ Jesus. And today is your opportunity, if you've not yet responded to Christ's gifts of salvation, to do that just by receiving him and welcoming him in. Here's the deal. He says, I want you to pray, first of all. I want you to pray, and I want you to come, and I want you to petition. So you're going to go out later today. Someone's going to hit you up with a petition, right? Would you sign this thing? And you ask them what it's about. A petition is a way of changing the way things are. A petition to God says, my view of myself, God, is so out of skew with what yours is. I am anxious. I wake up in the middle of the night. I have deep regrets. I can't seem to shake this guilt kind of thing. I worry about the future. I know what goes on in my body. Those, just, those thoughts just rage in me. I'm anxious and I'm worried. And oh God. And he says, I want you to bring that to me. And we're honest and we petition him and we say, I want that changed in my life, God. And here's the promise. That the peace of God will guard your emotions, and will guard those thoughts. Wow. God, this is what you say about me. This is what I think about myself. I hate that. I self-loathing. I don't want to be there. I know what those defaults are. God, I bring my anxiety to you. God, would you heal me and change me and guard me? And his peace comes, and the anxiety subsides, and my thoughts are focused, and I'm resting in his peace. Now, I wish there was a period there 
For those of us that are super spiritual, we would love it for there to be a period right there. Because what being super spiritual means is that we view every problem as a spiritual problem and every solution as exclusively a spiritual solution. And so if we're super spiritual, all we do is pray and then we experience God's grace and then we stop, right? But God did not make you spirit only. He made you spirit, soul, and body. And so he second tells us what to do with these souls of ours, this mind. You know what it's like, don't you? You just come to this place of peace, and five minutes later, you're thinking the same stinking thoughts that you were thinking that created the anxiety to start with. Any of you been there with me? Of course. Because our minds are wired to do the easy thing, which is to revert to the habits that we've taught it, to default back to those old patterns. And Paul steps in and says, second, I want to give you what to discipline your mind to think. And here it is. I love this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, do what? Think about these things. Now, I know where some of you are going. You're saying, finally, they're talking about self-esteem and affirmations around here. Maybe they'll be doing firewalking pretty well, uh, pretty soon too. Because we know that there's folks that say it's all in your head, right? It's just all in your head. Think positive thoughts. You'll have a beautiful and daisy-filled life, right? We understand that. Think positive, positive thinking, affirmations. We get all that. Some of us are a little nervous about that. Here's the deal. Don't be nervous about what the Bible tells you to do. God knows that if you don't discipline your mind, all of the peace that he brings is going to be undone by your old stinking thinking. And so because he made you with a soul, he tells you what to do with it. And once you pray first, then you say to your mind, mind, this is how I'm going to think. Oh, and this is powerful because he's going to ask you to think about yourself with God's thoughts about you, his likeness and image, the imago day that you were created to express. Notice the eight words. And I encourage you this week, tomorrow, when you get up, before you go to school, before you go to work, before you have your second cup of coffee, or if you're a nice, healthy person, your first cup of tea, I want you to take one of these qualities and I want you to think about it. Whatever's true, I am God's child. Hmm. In all of eternity... God the Father had a long time to think about what he was going to say when he went public. And when he went public, it was around uh, the Jordan River and his son Jesus was about to be baptized by John the Baptizer. And it was the time in human history that God the Father chose to speak in an audible way so that everyone there could hear him. Is this amazing or what? He thought about it for a long time. He gave himself one sentence. Eleven words. You think maybe those eleven words are important for us? Hmm. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's what he said. Hmm. And in Christ, 
That's the primary thing God the Father says about you. This is my loved son, daughter, and she pleases me before she acts in any way good, bad, or indifferent. This is my beloved son. That's what's true. How about noble? I am worth Christ's death and life. What's right? I was made by God on purpose, for purpose. I am needed and I have meaning. Pure. I am pure in Christ, even as I'm defeating old, impure habits. Hmm. If the stats are right, I assume they are. The research has been rigorous. Probably 40% of the guys that are uh, worshiping at Evergreen today in the last few days have been engaged in some form of online pornography, a significant percentage of women as well. What does God think about us? Failing in areas that we wish we hadn't and coming to church and worshiping. You stinking fraud, what are you here for? Is what some of us feel. What God says about you, in Christ, I see nothing but holiness from top to bottom. Now, do you want some help working through the nasty habits that you have brought into life? Yeah. Some of my heroes, the people that I am the most proud of in life, are those of you that are dealing with gnarly, difficult addictions in your life, and you are holding to your identity in Christ, forgiven, new person, absolutely perfected in Him, and pure, while you're being honest in fighting your way forward, in expressing the purity that He identifies in your life. What a great God. Add lovely. I bring good things to others' lives. Admirable. I am a good example. Oh, I know how that low self-regard does. But let me tell you, first of all, the five things that I'm a horrible example in. No, 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 no. Admirable. What's God leaving in your life of beauty? Excellent. I am becoming the best version of myself in God and praiseworthy. I love God and people better and better. Wow. Pray about it and then think about it. One of my friends, uh, Dr. Ted Roberts, uh, some of you would be familiar with him for years, was lead pastor at our sister church in Gresham, Oregon. And now Ted leads uh, a movement across America called Pure Desire and uh, is substantially engaged, in, especially for men, helping develop materials and resources and groups to help men move into sexual purity. A few years ago, uh, Ted wrote Anne and me a letter, and I loved how he signed off. It said, prancing through the poop, <laughs> Ted. I love that. I love that. Folks, it's poopy out there. It's poopy in here. Most of us, if you're still here at Evergreen, have no trouble acknowledging that. That's the real world. I love the prancing part, don't you? The prancing is this. 
This is the hope. This is the identity. This is what you were created to be. This is what God thinks about you. This is how God relates to you. And he says, would you come with the poop and stop trying to handle it on your own and let me work on that with you? Would you give me thanks for who I am? And would you have the good sense to start thinking about yourself the way I do as well? And then he fills in the final gap with the third step, which is to do something about it. I love this. Spirit, pray about it. Soul, think about it. Body, go do something about this thing. Notice our last verse today. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Just do it. Well, someone else said that more recently in our community. Just do it. Hmm. As the band comes, the people who originally read this 2,000 years ago had a distinct advantage over us because they knew Paul. We don't know Paul. In fact, if you think he's visited you recently, please talk to me. We need to have another conversation. But their advantage was they knew exactly what they'd heard from him, seen in him, received from him, read about him. We don't have that advantage. But let me suggest this to you. There are people God's put in your life. They're role models for you. They tend to be people of joy. They do tend to rejoice. They aren't sour dowers. They aren't cranky Christians. They aren't mean. They aren't judgmental. But boy, do they stand for righteousness and truth. But they do it with a spirit of joy and generosity. And you know, they just seem to exude a sense of confidence and well-being. They're comfortable in their own skin. They tend to laugh and chuckle about their problems. They're honest with their mistakes. They apologize for those, but they're pretty confident that they're going to be of service. Who are those people in your life that in their following Christ have discovered some things forward that you're able to learn from? Encourage you this week to think about those. Some may be older than you and they may have passed on. Some may be old, some of them may be peers and some of them may be younger than you. But here's the big point. Just go do it. Just go live like what God thinks about you is true. Just go live like your identity while your self-regard is finding its way forward.